And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Christian Shabu. Will Van Dyke. Lamar Wombo. What up, y'all? Today, y'all, we have a very special guest. Her name is April Hernandez Castillo, and she is an actress. Oh, oh, wipe them eyebrows down, girl. Go ahead. I see you. Um, <laughs> actress, speaker, author of the book Embracing Me, which is her memoir, and you can find that on Amazon or anywhere else they sell books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're very excited to have her because she's, um, for me, somebody that I've looked up to in the world of speaking. Um, and when she gets on stage, literally is electric uh, <laughs> and brings her, her acting and all of her, uh, her skills to the stage. And so someone I've always looked up to. Well, thank you for, for being on the Meta podcast. And, uh, you know, we just I think the best thing to do would be to have you just kind of start off by you telling us a little bit about your story, who you are where you come from. Right. Well, I'm born and raised in the Boogie Down Bronx, and I have lived here all my life, with the exception of when I travel across the United States or internationally speaking. Um, I'm a TEDx speaker. I've been acting for close to 20 years. Um, I also have a business with my husband called Lion Chaser Films and Zala Photography, where we you know, work with small businesses, entrepreneurs, influencers, and making sure that they have um, high-end photos and content for their brands. And I'm also a mom of two girls. My daughter, Summer Rose, is an actor, and she currently has a cartoon out called Alma's Way on PBS. So for any of you who have children, please go check it out, Alma's Way on PBS. Get them babies onto the show. Awesome, awesome. In season three, we are really trying to dive into um, understanding manhood, masculinity, toxic masculinity. Um, And so as you hear any of those three terms, and we can just start with, um, you know, any of them based on your experience or just your opinion. In in Latin culture, that would be probably machismo, right? So just this, hmm... Machismo is interesting. I haven't really been around it, but obviously, you know, I have Latin friends and Latinx friends and family members. Um, But the women in my family, we all operate at an alpha level. So, Ah. yes, we are all alphas, which is very interesting. Um, I can't really say there's a level of toxic masculinity or machismo in my family. But when I have seen it, it's just, it's just so, I'm unimpressed by it. Mm. It is something that I just go, really guys, we're, we're in 2021. Now you're seeing men for, you know, speaking up for women, uh, like Terry Crews, for him as such a masculine man to open up and say that he was sexually harassed is one of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed. Um, because I can't even imagine how hard it was for him. I'm a survivor of, of intimate partner violence. So it took me over 10 years to share my story. And I know that so many men who have been abused, they rarely ever share their story because they're usually mocked or felt to feel uh, you know, ashamed. Um, so when I saw him come out, I thought that was profound. I thought that was absolutely profound. And his ability to tap into this vulnerability of saying like, hey, men get... Um, 
harassed as well. And we need to take it seriously. Because I think it's unfair when a man says that he has been harassed, that we don't take it seriously. You're talking about Terry Crews and, and that whole moment in which Terry shared that he had been um, sexually assaulted. Uh, you mentioned yourself, like being a being somebody who experienced uh, intimate partner domestic violence. Mm -hmm. Do you see any connection to whether it's, you know, traditional ideas of manhood and masculinity at play, like connected to any sort of violence um, or abuse in that way? Like, are there any connections there? I mean, it's abuse of power, right? It, it's just that's what that's what drives any sort of abuse. It's power and control. But behind that, it's really fear. But for when you're on that world in that world of Hollywood, um, people don't really understand what goes behind the veil. There are so many people who have interesting things going on um, and they know that they are powerful and that they are shot callers and they have money. And so that's why that guy felt that it was just so easy for him to violate Terry Crews, like touching his private part. Had he been in the hood, he would have probably not made it out <laughs> if that would have happened. But it's just this level of just audacity to say, I can do this because of, you know, it's a choice. So when I was doing, I was taking trainings uh, to understand, right, the dynamics of um, intimate partner violence. And in one of the workshops, the facilitator, he made, he asked us, why do men abuse? And everyone had an answer, alcoholism, family, this. And what he did was he crossed out all the words and he just wrote choice. At the end of the day, it is a choice that you make. And so why, when we're talking about abuse that we, we mention it where, um, you know, the majority of women, the, the majority of calls that come in are from women. So that it's, that's why sometimes it feels that domestic violence is a woman's issue when it's not, but the majority of calls that cops receive are usually called from women, by women. So I'm not trying to bash anyone or, you know, cause every people are like, men get abused too. You're absolutely right. Look, we just saw someone on a, you know, on a high profile. I think about what you're saying, which is men have a choice or that they're, they're, they're in this position like, am I gonna choose to do this or not? Yes. And men then say in a lot of instances that, well, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm probably, and knowing if they're gonna get away with it or not, or mm -hmm. knowing if their their partner is gonna like feel powerless or not be able to like come up, come out from under it. You know, those those are toxic behaviors, right? When you wouldn't you say? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's unhealthy. It's, it, you know, and it's happening at a, at a younger age. Now you're seeing it younger and younger, you know, before, um, you know, just 20 years ago, when we thought of violence, we only really thought of DV, domestic violence. So domestic meaning home, but when intimate partner violence was created, now you're, it's not just who I'm sleeping with, but it's also who I'm hanging out with, right? My friends, and we're seeing levels of toxicity and just abuse um, amongst middle schoolers, boys acting out violently, but also on the other end, girls acting out violently. And you said fear, it's fear, mm -hmm. um, is why men end up 
in situations that they are around intimate partner violence. Mm -hmm. Can you, fear of what? Can you tell us a little bit more about like what you've learned and and just like what your experience is with that? Oh, of course. Well, fear of of losing the person that they're with, fear of not feeling enough, mm. fear of maybe their own if they have experienced some kind of you know sexual abuse, any kind of you know physical violence. It's just that 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 insecurity that lies within, and so that's. That's like, okay, so in acting terms, right? I'm gonna take you through a little acting. So when you're developing a character, right? All characters have a core. There's a core. And most human beings, we would talk about maybe what your values and morals are, right? So, you know, um, just respect, honor, freedom, the, you know, uh, love, power. And behind some of that is fear. So, so really there's just this fear of, of, you know, if I can't control her, then maybe she's not going to stay with me or she maybe she'll, maybe, you know, maybe she'll see who I really am. And that's just too much. So that's what I'm talking about. You know, like fear, right? Cause yep. when someone is jealous, what's really behind it, it's the fear of not feeling loved or not having, or feeling enough for that person. So then I make a choice and use my power because I know I'm stronger than you and mm -hmm. I know I can hurt you. And most likely I know you're not going to leave. Mm -hmm. So it takes a woman seven to eight times before she actually decides to leave a relationship, an abusive relationship. That, I, I did not know that. Yeah. It's, it, so, so the question is, why does she stay or why does anyone stay? But why does she stay? I mean, is, I get it. I really understand why someone would ask that. I don't judge that anymore because some people really just want to know. And so I'd rather just always put it out there and say, let's have a dialogue. Why do you think someone stays? And most of the time it's just fear, shame, financial. You never know um, if someone, especially when you're de dealing with immigration, right? I can hold that against you. If you go to the cops, you'll just get um, deported. And some people are just like, I... <laughs> I'd rather be here than deported, unfortunately. So April, what I'm hearing there, a lot of the reasons you 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 gave that are behind that fear um, in this relationship dynamic that we're talking about, and I want to be clear, like we're, we're talking about relationships that are very heteronormative, like right, man right. who identifies as a man, woman who identifies as a woman together in a relationship. Or anyone, or, or any, however you identify, if you're in, you know, LGBTQ+, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, intimate partner violence, domestic violence is not prejudice, racist. It doesn't care how much money you have or how you identify. Violence is violence. Clear. And so what I'm hearing for some of those reasons you gave behind that fear uh, is, a, is a lack of being fully expressed or being fully in conversation about like, hey, here are the things I'm concerned about or here are the things I feel insecure about, like th those kind of things. So I'm wondering then, like, what, whether it's through the work that you do um, across the country, like speaking and, and this kind of work that you do, or, or whether it's, you know, more in your community and your families, like, what do you, what do you try to tell people or support them in, in, in making those shifts for themselves within those relationships to, to be in conversation more and to be more fully expressed? When I'm speaking with, with the youth, I'm really talking about boundaries and consent, because that's what they understand. And when, when we were in school back in the days when they would actually take us on trips, right? We needed a what? 
consent form. Someone needed to sign, your mother or your father had to sign and say, yes, you can take my daughter. And that's the same way I tell the boys and girls. You need consent. <laughs> Don't assume that silence or if she doesn't say anything that it is a yes unless you hear her say it I consent to us engaging in whatever it is then okay you gave me consent but that's that's how the the younger um that's how the youth really understand it and also telling them that they're they are okay to create boundaries but if you think about it as adults we need to create boundaries as well so everything that I say to the youth can be also um, spoken with, you know, as, as adults. It's just making people aware of language, of just things that we thought was normal, um, like pushing a girl, right? Or that whole thing of when a boy likes you, he hits you. Can we just talk about that? Can we though? I heard that so much as a girl. I got punched, let me tell let me see. I got punched in the face by a boy because he liked me and I retaliated. And I, this is when I was in Catholic school and we had, you know, those, those like bowling shoes that if you kicked anyone, it would just destroy them. And I destroyed his leg because I thought, my goodness, why? And I knew that he liked me, but so many times when I was a little girl, when a boy would like be a bit more aggressive than someone else, it was like, oh, cause he really likes you. So as a young woman, you think if a boy is hitting me, then he really wants me. That starts when we're kids mm. in the street. Yeah. That's how far it goes. And that's what's been embedded in our minds of saying, oh, yeah, violence is, this is normal. You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's normal. It's normal for you to just, you know, um, violate me through my phone now. It's it's normal for you to want to check on, you know, oh, I want your, your password. So that way I always know where you are. So this is the language that kids are using because, you know, we're all interested, you know, we're like dinosaurs. So we didn't we didn't have to go through this process, right? We didn't know what that was like. We just- Shout out to the 80s babies. Thank God. Shout out to the 80s babies. Listen, we waited by the phone and you were lucky if you got that because we didn't even have call waiting until like the early 90s, right? So, so if you had to wait and that was all, but now the level of access that kids have to each other, that's why so many parents um, miss the mark. We miss the mark when we're raising our kids and saying, I didn't even know, I didn't see any signs. In your speaking and in the sort of you know talks that you give and and now also sort of engaging on a, an adult level of conversation here too, what's easier to sort of break through? Is it the kids that undoing some of that you know language that starts really early and sort of getting them at their impressionable ages, or are you finding that there's a shift in the adults that you speak to as well, or, or what that? you know, that there's a, a light bulb maybe going off, you know, similarly to conversations like we're trying to have is like these, these sort of awakening moments and, and those sort of things. Is it, is it, are you seeing a shift in sort of the, the way that you can reach the youth versus maybe a shift also in an adult? You know, when you're speaking about intimate partner violence or any kind of violence amongst adults, Things get a little interesting 
because sometimes you're in the room with a couple of abusers. But you don't know this, right? You're just trying to deliver a workshop. So so I've been in a couple of rooms where I could tell that I was speaking to men who were abusers. I could feel their energy shift. I could see the way they were looking at me. I could see that I was poking without, in, you know, intentionally, because I don't know who I'm speaking to. Um, but for the most part, I feel like parents... Parents are, are, it feels like a, a breath of fresh air because now they can, they can say, number one, if I have been abused, have I taken care of myself? Or, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I was abused. I just thought that was normal. For kids, it's, it's great because it's sort of saying, guys, even if you are seeing this, you can say something, do something. I know that snitches get stitches and that's not how we don't want to be a Takashi 69. I get all that. I get all the references, guys. But our babies are dying by suicide at a level that is just frightening. Um, girls are being abused from the age of 16 to 24. So if you don't say something, you might just end up at your friend's funeral. How does that make you feel? And, and like, I have to be that blunt with them because, you know, if, if you're not, the world will be. And, and th then that really makes them think like, oh, wow. You know, and so empowering them to say you have a voice, right? You have a choice and you could do this on the DL, right? If you don't feel like you're gonna, you want to go to the counselor, Go with your friend and hear some websites, hear some resources, because kids will run to the phone and they will run to the resources on a computer before they run to their parent. As a as a male ally, peer friend, not in the relationship, mm -hmm. like what what is a man's role or how can a man play a role in like in probably doing the same things that you mentioned, but like what's a man's role in like exposing, you know, these, speaking up, yeah. just, speaking up. just, just the mere fact that you will be courageous enough because that's, it takes a lot of courage to, if like, let's say, you know, there's two guys, one of them is dating and you know, he's beating his girlfriend and that's his best friend. <clears throat> and he sees that he has the power to call him out. Mm. I'm gonna get real street. Like yo son what's good. Right. Like, yeah. what are we doing? That's not how you treat a woman. Um, well, most likely you're going to get called out or cut off. Yeah. But at least you said something. For so many years, men have just stayed quiet. So we interviewed a dating coach. Okay. And one of the things that she mentioned is like helping women come out of these tough, um, tough, bad relationships into better ones. And so I'm interested to hear from you like, what did you, what was the journey like for you coming out of a, a violent relationship to find somebody that you thought represented well, manhood, masculinity, mm -hmm. cooperative masculinity, like when you had really a skewed view of like, what men should actually be doing? Like, how do you even connect those dots on your own? Well, number one, I have to give credit to my father, right? Um... I didn't grow up, I didn't have daddy issues. I didn't, I wasn't sexually abused by my father. My father was very present, taught me, you know, how to throw a ball. I was very athletic because of him. 
Um, he was, he's still so present in my life and in my daughter's life. So when I fell into an abusive relationship, I just want to give you some backstory. When I fell into that, and then 10 years later, when I started doing the work to understand where did that pathology, like how did that happen? I discovered that my mother was in an abusive relationship before my dad, and then she was abused as a child. Then my father was in, he was, he saw, he grew up in a violent home as well. He saw his father severely beat his mom several times. But my father would always tell me, um, when a man loves you, he's going to honor you, respect you, treat you the way I tr treat your mom. <clears throat> so subconsciously, I had that like a little chip. When I was in my abuse, I kept thinking, this is not the love that my father told me about. Mm. This is not the honor that I see my father gives to my mother. So I, when I left my situation, I just knew this is not healthy. Um, he's going to kill me and I need to get out of here. And when I left, thank God, it was easier than most situations. Now, cut to when I met my husband, who we've been together for 20 years, I have to give him all the credit for the woman that I am today. Because when I got with him, I was a hot mess. I was aggressive, absolutely like extremely aggressive. I was, I'm not going to say I was violent towards him, but I definitely was ready to attack at any moment. You were defensive. Absolutely. Yeah. And he set boundaries. So in my book, Embracing Me, I talk about um, our chapters called I Love You, But I Love Me More. Uh, and one day, you know, I was very disrespectful and doing what I do do. Um, and he looked at me and he said, I love you, but I love me more. Mm. And you cannot treat me that way. Right. I am a man. I love you. And I love what we're about, but um, I'm not the person who will hurt you. And I was like, oh, I'm with a man who knows who he is. Mm. I'm with a man who respects himself highly and I can't repeat what I just came from. So that's how I was able to transition into a relationship. And it, and it still took a lot of work, but his empathy, you know, I, I always say he, I was like a diamond in the rough that he saw, you know, when you can see his potential in someone and you're like, gosh, wake up. If you just get this right, you're going to become this person. And I think like, that's what he held on to. He knew that I wasn't my abuse. In so many instances, it feels like it's the other way around, right? It feels like it's the, the woman trying to make the man a better person to make the man a better man. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. So it's, it's really interesting that you kind of like frame it that way. Yeah. When do you ever hear men say that? Like, I'm going to set a boundary. I'm willing to let you go. You fly and all of that, but I'm fly too. And you're not going to treat me however you want to treat me. And I, and I, and how, I mean, like to this day, it's profound to think, cause I, I thought, what if I had that same thought process? What if I had set that same boundary? What if more and more young people set those boundaries of understanding like you have a standard, you have a moral, you have moral values, you have dignity and integrity, and I'm going to stand by that. And I don't care whether I stand alone or I walk with you.
in sharing the chapter, I love you, I love me more, right, of, of your book, Embracing Me, and that moment with your husband, you mentioned these characteristics that you were exhibiting that, that were just not helpful in the relationship and were harmful, right? Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned earlier, as we were talking, that that you and the women in your family are very much alphas. You're all alphas, right? And and I think that at times some of the some of the energy you were talking about related to that chapter and that moment with your husband can often be um, conflated to like, oh well, that's alpha energy. Like that's that's just being assertive and things like that. So, what's the distinction between those two things? Where on one hand, for you, like it's I sensed like some pride in the fact that you and the women in your family have that alpha energy and stance, but also there was this moment in your life where those kind of characteristics were were harmful. So, so what's the distinction? Oh, that's a powerful question. I mean, the mo- the majority of the women in my family, we we all speak up for ourselves. We are doers. We're, we make things happen. Um, we just, we don't wait for anyone. <laughs> you know, we, we have to do what we're going to do. We move forward. We're strong. Um, we're very opinionated. But when you get into a situation where abuse is in that mix, then it becomes misconstrued, right? You you think, well, um, what happens is, is like, because violence silences your voice. So then you say, I'm never going to like, never allow anyone to talk to me in any way, right? So you're just aggressive for no reason. Like you're angry at bacon in the words of, you know. Cat Williams. Um, it's, it's like you're just angry for no reason. And it was understanding like, okay, being an alpha is amazing. It's great. And it's the reason why I think I was able to leave my situation. But when you then um, come become one with one a person in marriage, that's when you have to say, I can still remain an alpha. I just don't need to, you know, bring my husband down or speak down to him in ways that are derogatory. Um, And I was doing that a lot because, like I said, I was very, I I just had a lot of rage. One of the points you made earlier, April, was about, you know, some of the some of the crazy things that you've seen in the entertainment, the film and TV industry. Right. Mm -hmm. And you yourself now as a parent who has a child that's going into that industry. Right. Like I'm Mm -hmm. wondering what are your what are your hopes or what are the changes that you know need to happen in this industry that is often dominated by that very um, masculine, call it machismo, call it um, very manipulative, whatever the words that we often hear identified uh, from the top level with the entertainment industry, like what are your hopes for the changes that need to be made in that industry for somebody who has a, a kid going into that industry now? Right. I, I hope that parents are more aware of their rights. I hope that parents, um, for those who are looking to to get their kids into the business, that they never put fame, uh, fortune, success in front of their children's safety. Uh, My husband and I, we are hawks. No one is going to be alone with my child. No one. Um, That's it. (laughs) You know, but back in the days, especially, you know, when you think about like Corey Haim, right? Like it's heartbreaking when you think of, all of those stars from the 80s, the majority of them were just left out there to just to get eaten up alive, um, which is why so many of them turned to drugs, right? We think of them like, oh, they're washed up. And no, at, at the end of the day, they were kids. 
and no one was guiding them. No one was protecting them. The, the laws weren't even put into place. So the whole, um, you know, Illuminati, all of that stuff, that is, it's so real in that industry. There is a level of success that people tap into that once you do something, you can't come back from that. You know, and I always tell people, I'm like, don't sell your soul for a role. Because once you do that, you've made a pact. You know what I'm saying? Um, and at the top there, it is driven by many men, unfortunately. Many men who are pedophiles, many men who are just, you know, abusers and predators going after after children. Um, and so that's what I hope. I hope that, and I think we're seeing that more and more now where kids are, you're seeing more parents. I, I've seen a couple of actors who I'm just like, yes, that's how it should be done. Tell us where can people find you? Where can they learn more right. about you? Uh, websites, books, all that good stuff. Um, you can just get my book at Amazon, Embracing Me. And then uh, if people want to follow me at April L. Hernandez on Instagram. Thank you all for joining us. We appreciate y'all. The Men Up podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.